Welcome to Ask a Pastor. Thank you for taking a few minutes to uh, make this part of your day, your week. Uh, This is a podcast that we produce at Orchard Hill uh, that we drop every Friday. I think it plays on our radio uh, ministry program as well. Sometimes there's little snippets of it that are uh, distributed by other means. If you get this via the podcast, uh, it would be great if you just take a few seconds to go down and drop a few stars on it because that helps people find the content. Uh, so whether it's one star or five stars, depending on what you like or don't like of what we say, um, then uh, either one is actually helpful. So if you just take a few moments and do that, that would help other people be able to find the content. And thank you for sending so many questions. Uh, we have more questions so far than, than we have allocated all the time for, but we will get to your question if you sent something in, in the days ahead. So thank you uh, for that. And if you have questions, please do send them at askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. And again, we'll respond to that. Today, I'm joined by George Palumbo. Hi, George. Welcome. Good morning. Good to Uh, be here. George is a new member of our staff at Orchard Hill. Uh, He joined uh, the staff here in September of this year and is working as one of our life stage pastors, which means that he's really caring for a significant size group inside our church and helping to assimilate and disciple and lead people spiritually through that entire life stage. George spent many years in law enforcement, and during that time he attended Orchard Hill, was a member, led some small groups, did different things, and then went to seminary a couple years ago, pastored, and then now has come back to Orchard Hill. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you be the person that we dealt with the question that we're going to deal with today is because you are a recent seminary graduate. So this is all fresh in your oh, mind. Yes. So you should have a lot <laughs> all to the say. Answers. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm just going to tee it up and, you know, only challenge you if I disagree. Um, and that's kind of a joke. Yeah, but anyway, uh, the question that somebody asked was this, and they said, after a long study of Romans, can you share some thoughts on predestination? Uh, my, my guess is this may be somebody who just went through BSF recently. I think this last year, the mm. Women's Bible Study Fellowship, which is a, a great organization for women to study the Bible. I think they did Romans a year ago or so. And so my, my guess is whether it was study, uh, kind of necessitated by that or somebody else, they're asking the question, can you share some thoughts? So let me just, before we, we have George share some thoughts, let me just give a really quick overview just so that if this is not something you're familiar with that you're not starting from from kind of nothing so in the in the bible uh, there are several places where the bible indicates that god chooses people before the foundation of the earth irregardless of their faith uh, irregardless isn't a word regardless of their faith and helps them to um, causes them to believe And yet at the same time, the Bible seems to indicate pretty clearly also that God offers salvation to everybody and that people respond by faith and that that is the instrument of saving faith. And so the the debate that literally has been going on for centuries between reform faith, predestination, Calvinism, and Arminianism, or kind of a general call to faith, is, is around this issue of what does the Bible mean when it speaks of election or predestination? Uh, this may not seem like much of a question to you. In some ways, you may say this is an irrelevant question, 
But in some other ways, it's a substantial question, especially if you uh, have people that you know that don't believe, how do you put this all together? So, so George, share your thoughts on predestination. I'm so glad you asked me this because I have all the answers to this. <laughs> I have the definitive answers. Well, good, I we're gonna solve centuries puzzle. of debate yes. today. today. It's gonna happen. All right. Well, I think the first thing that I would say regarding this subject is it is one where as Christians, we need to maintain true charity uh, mm. when we talk to one another. I know that just in preparing for this discussion this morning, I spent some time just with some folks in the church, you know, asking them the question, so if you had this discussion about predestination, where would you begin with it? And almost without exception, the answer was, well, what is predestination? Mm -hmm. And in one sense, that's troubling to me, but in another sense, it's understandable um, because it's not something, you know, that we talk about every day. It's not mm -hmm. the, it, it seems like one of the deep wells, you know, of theology that we have to go so deep. But having said that, it does smack, you know, of some really important things because it deals with the very character of who God is. Mm -hmm. uh, because tied to the issue of predestination is, you know, issues of God's sovereignty, uh, his choice and his foreknowledge, um, how he goes about predestinating, you know, one to his kingdom and overlooks another. And why does he do those things? Uh, so I think a, a, just a quick definition of predestination is pre means that, you know, something that happens before. You know, we, we know that from our English language. <clears throat> and destination is that we're going somewhere uh, so the idea of predestination is that God has foreordained before all time has begun that some will be ordained unto salvation, of which the, the Bible calls his elect, and some are not. And I've noticed that in having these conversations with folks, uh, a lot of, I, I can see lights coming on for the first time. Uh, a couple of folks have e even said, I've never even begun to think about these things. Uh, so there have been conflicts, you know, over the centuries, as you alluded to in, our, in your opening statement, uh, there have been intellectual giants in the faith who've landed on both sides uh, of, this, uh, of, of these arguments. And there's even been tremendous conflict uh, for 2,000 years over this, uh, over this issue as to why does God choose one person to be saved mm -hmm. and not another person to be saved. And I also noticed that in this conversation that it became very emotional uh, because, you know, we all have relatives or we have children. Uh, I, you know, think of my own children and what my own heart is for my own kids. And to think that perhaps, you know, they weren't predestined into eternity with Jesus for all time is, you know, it, it makes me shudder in my emotions uh, because we're emotional creatures. Uh, so I can see those lights, you know, sort of clicking on for people. And, and I think that this very topic sometimes raises more questions than it answers. Uh, and that's, I, I think at the end of the day, what this conversation does, and hopefully what it does, is it challenges us to get into the character and the nature of God, it sort of forces us uh, to look more deeply at who he is and how he affects the things that he does. So, having said that, uh, I think probably one of the uh, main 
views of predestination is that, you know, somehow God in his incredible knowledge is able to look down the corridors of time and see who is going to accept his son as their savior. And he sort of marks those people out. Uh, but scripture doesn't really, you know, go along with that idea. It, scripture is clear to us that God foreordains all things uh, before time began and that he is sovereign over all things, even over those who are his elect. One of the things, and so what you're referring to is people who would say, God in his foreknowledge looked down through history, saw who would believe, and then he foreordained them at that time or predestined Correct. them. The, the problem that I see with that is it doesn't actually get you out of the problem you think it's getting you out of. Uh, and what I mean by that is the reason somebody holds that if they don't believe it's taught in Bible, and there is a point in Romans 8 <coughs> where it says those whom he foreknew, he predestined. That's usually where, where somebody would point yes. to and say, oh, that is a biblical idea. It's right there. Um, you can debate whether or not that, that is or is not, but that's where somebody would generally sure. point. But, but the problem with that from a, from a reason standpoint is even if God foreknew it, it's still no less foreordained um, if he foreknew it before the foundation of the earth. It takes the choice out of God's hands and puts it back into human hands. So if that's what you're trying to do, because then I still chose God had nothing to do with it. He just foreordained what he knew I would already do. So now I'm responsible for my salvation instead of God, but it's no less foreordained, <laughs> meaning if, if God already saw it in eternity past and then he foreordained it, then whatever I'm going to do has already been decided and I can do nothing to the counter. And, and that's, the, that, that's the challenge. Usually when people counter this idea, what they're trying to get around is the idea that I have choice to the contrary. And Correct. so what they're saying is that somehow doesn't seem fair. If I don't have choice to the contrary, then in what sense am I choosing God legitimately or having faith that's legitimate rather than just, and how is that then fair to people who, who are outside faith um, if, if God made it? So, 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 so I don't think that, and I think you're agreeing with that, don't actually, that, that argument doesn't actually stop some of the problems that people are trying to avoid with it. Well, in the conversations, just again, in the folks that I had with, in the church this week, is it, it begins to raise questions of other areas, you know, outside of predestination. We begin to talk about, well, what is, are we free to make our own choices? Mm -hmm. You know, do we actually have free will? And what is our place in accepting or rejecting the message of the gospel. In other words, who makes that, uh, who brings that to light to us to even decide whether or not we're going mm -hmm. to make that uh, decision for or against the person of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Jesus made the, uh, ver some very strong statements in the gospel of John that, you know, nobody, nobody can come to me mm -hmm. unless the Father draws him. Uh, and those are hard you know, those are one of the hard, hard sayings of Jesus, uh, that when Jesus makes a comment like that, you know, we look at that and go, well, am I, you know, am I part of that group who is called unto Jesus, and how do I know these things? And I think those are some of the, the things that we look at and go, these should cause us to ask deeper questions. Uh, of course, it, you know, we we're jesting in the earlier part that we were gonna solve this here right. today, especially in 30 minutes when it has been a raging. Um, so, so, so let me push into that. So 
how do you personally, when you look at this issue, how do you come to rest with, with saying the Bible appears to teach that God predestines Ephesians 1, Romans 9, right. multitude of other places, but those are really clear examples. And yet it seems to indicate that God says, whosoever will may come, and he opens the door wide and says, you decide. How do you reconcile that personally? Well, I know as a, a reformed, we're a reformed community here. We've embraced, you know, reformed mm -hmm. theology, at least at some level. We uh, probably have some disputes on some of those things, but I think there's a, 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 a problem, you know, in what the Bible calls our flesh that makes us want to believe that we are somewhat a little better than we actually are told that we are in Scripture. Uh, and it has to do with our, you know, ability to do certain things that, you know, we think we're completely free, that we're neutral uh, moral agents at all times, mm -hmm. and that we're not predisposed, you know, to anything uh, because, but, you know, Scripture has a different take on us. Uh, the Scripture says we are utterly sinful. Uh, we are, you know, unable to choose Christ outside of the drawing of the Father. You know, that all men have sinned. Nobody comes to the glory of God because we all fall short. Uh, and I think the, the average person maybe who walks through the church door just kind of thinks that they need Jesus' help, you know, to, to come to him. Uh, but the scriptures have a very different you know, they say you're dead. You know, we're dead in our sins. Uh, we're not ill in our sins. We're not struggling in our sins. We're dead in our sins and in our trespasses, and we need something to happen before we would even begin to consider whether or not to ask Jesus Christ to become the central person inside of our life, and that is life. We need life from the outside yeah. to come into us yeah, it's an interesting uh, point. You bring up Ephesians 2, 4, 5, 6, right in that section. So chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 4, 5, 6, says we are dead in our sins and in yes. our trespasses. And that's what you're referring to. And what a lot of people probably do, even within the church, is they have a theology that's closer to the movie Princess Bride than Ephesians 2. I don't know if you remember that movie, but there's a scene in the movie when they're about to go off and storm the castle and the guy they need is dead. And I think it was Billy Crystal comes out and says, oh no, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. <laughs> and, uh, but he's not all the way dead. We can bring him back to life. And, and what I'm hearing you say is what we want in our nature is to be able to say, well, I'm not, not really that incapable. I don't really need that much help. I just need to figure it out. I just need God to help me a little. Um, and, and as a result, we don't have that strong of a dichotomy going back to, 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 to where we see our need. And therefore, we, we are less passionate in our worship of God because we think we did some of the work and God met us halfway rather than this was all a work of God on our behalf. From start to finish right that he is he does the drawing he does the bringing to life right uh, and then you know he continues to work out our salvation even in our sanctification so if I'm hearing you your way of reconciling is to say you just don't have a strong enough understanding of the Bible and that's why uh, this, uh, you you have a hard time I'm not saying you personally but 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 you're saying if you just get a better understanding of the Bible and, and how it teaches predestination then this won't be such a 
tough question for you. Well, it is is a, that is that what I'm hearing? Well, it's still a difficult mm -hmm. question because I, I think it, Scripture, you know, when we're, before we come to know Christ, Scripture, you know, is nonsense to us. It's foolishness mm -hmm. to us so that when we read things, especially pertaining to things uh, of a deep nature, like God's sovereignty and God's authority and, and his bringing us to life and, you know, telling us that we're essentially dead. Uh, you know, I, I was just thinking this morning about an illustration that if we walked into the church on Sunday morning and invited everybody to come forth who wanted 50 pounds of gold, you know, everybody would come forth, you know, and pick up their 50 pounds of gold. But if we went to another place where folks are assembled in body, a cemetery, and we threw forth the same offer to people. Well, we know people want 50 pounds of gold. I know I would like to have 50 pounds of gold, and I'm sure you would like to have it. But if we make that same offer in a cemetery, nobody is going to come forth. As appealing as the offer is of eternal life, when someone is dead in their sins, they do not have the ability to come forth mm -hmm. and receive that offer because they simply are dead in so, their sins. So, so what, okay, so I hear that you're comfortable with that statement. So, so somebody who says, okay, I hear that. Maybe, you know, obviously we're not taking the time to unpack the verses sure. to teach it. We just referenced them. But somebody says, boy, that just seems unfair. Oh. Seems like, seems like, like then God said, George, you get to have the 50 pounds of gold to use your reference. But over here, there's Jim who didn't get to. Um, what kind of a God is that that, that, that would, would make things so unfair? How do you reconcile that? Well, that's another <clears throat> conversation that's, been, that's happened over the centuries is this idea of equal ultimacy. Mm -hmm. and I know that's a, you know, a big, deep term. We don't want to use those terms, especially if we're trying to have this conversation with folks who aren't uh, accustomed to having them. And equal ultimacy basically means that God made some people come to him and on the other end of the spectrum, he actually creates fresh evil inside of hearts of some people so that they will never come to him. And that has never been the, the true reformed doctrine of, of, of predestination. It's one that, that says, you know, the, the true reformed belief is that we are all doomed for hell and we all deserve to go to hell. You know, the, the scriptures are replete with uh, telling us that, you know, there is no one who, is, who deserves eternal life. We've all fallen short, every single one of us, uh, but that God in his mercy has chosen some to be predestined unto eternal life, and in his mercy he draws them out of that pool of death, where the other group who is left alone is not going to receive the injustice of God. They're going to receive the justice of God. So God is never unjust uh, in his ways with us. But those who receive mercy, there is a sense of justice also that is paid. Uh, there is a, still a debt that has to be paid. But in his mercy, we don't have to pay it. Mm -hmm. We don't pay the debt. Jesus Christ paid that debt for us. So God is never unjust in his dealing with, uh, with humanity. Uh, some receive mercy, some receive justice, but nobody receives so, God's injustice. So, so a skeptic to this way of thinking and, you know, inside, outside the church would say, 
yeah, okay, I, I hear that. I get the logical point of that, that you're saying we all deserve to die. Therefore, therefore justice would be that, that you suffer eternal punishment. Sure. But it still seems on a guttural level, like, like if you didn't do anything to deserve uh, this and you were chosen and somebody else was passed over, whatever phrase you want to use, equal ultimacy, double predestination, um, you know, choose, choose, your, sure. choose your terminology, it still seems like, like you have a God who is making an arbitrary, capricious choice. Um, how, how, do you, how, how do you, again, just on a guttural level, re respond to that? I think the, even the average person outside of the church understands that this is God's world. I mean, he mm -hmm. owns the world. He is, if they know anything, even of the God that they, they choose, that they say that they don't believe in, they understand that there's a God who is sovereign over all of his creation. Uh, and at the end of the day, and again, these are philosophical arguments that uh, have been, you know, wrought over the ages of who is able to choose and why. And Scripture makes it plain to us that we choose, we always choose according to that which is our strongest desire at any given moment. So the person who does not choose Christ is choosing what they truly want. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as pastors, you've heard this over the years, you've heard folks say, well, I want to go to heaven, but the fact is they don't want the person mm -hmm. that heaven has to offer. You know, they want the goods, mm -hmm. so to speak, the 50 the pounds of gold, I want the gold, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't really truly. So a person who is outside of the faith really is not outfitted for the kingdom mm -hmm. of God. They don't have the spirit of God alive in them. So they have no desire, they have no true desire for God himself. Mm -hmm. They want the things God has. To, my kids are the same way. You know, there are times they want, mm -hmm. you know, they want the thing, but they really don't want dad at right. that time. Uh, so my kids, I watch them all make uh, choices all the time, you know, as, as to what they want. And I can direct that. Sometimes I can direct it actively and sometimes I can direct it passively. I don't need, for example, to uh, intervene offensively in my three-year-old's life in order for him to choose a certain thing. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be, I don't have to create something wicked in right. order to effect that. I can simply withhold something that he is generally accustomed to doing and it wakes him up and he goes, dad, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. You know, why didn't you give me my snack? Mm -hmm. Well, dad has other reasons, you know, for why I chose that course of action, mm -hmm. but I didn't have to do anything to offend him right. in order to effect that. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is, uh, we're going to probably need to leave this here. It's a bigger conversation, obviously, than, than we can, can cover entirely. Here's one of the things that I found helpful, j just personally, and that is, I think in some ways God laughs at this conversation. And, and, and what I mean is the amount of time, energy, passion that gets spilled in this and people arguing, you started by saying, we need to be charitable. Um, and the reason I think God kind of can laugh at this is whenever we pray for somebody, we're actually affirming two things that appear to be contradictory at once. And, and we're kind of, um, and that's what I mean when I say God might laugh at this. And that is we're affirming that God can and does override the human will. Because if we say, God, would you bring my, my son, my daughter to come to faith in you? What we're doing is we're saying, it isn't just human choice. God, you can do this sure. and you can override. And at the same time, we're affirming the idea that it can be different. Um, because if, if there is no, no, no change, then there's no reason to pray. 
And, and so as soon as we follow the command to say pray, ask God to, to mm. change, he's almost laughing at our, at our conversation sure. because it's like, I just got you to affirm two things that appear to be opposite and you've spent centuries arguing and spilling ink over and saying, I know how this works and you don't totally know how it works. Now, I don't mean that as a cop out to taking a real position or anything else, but for me, that's a helpful place just to go back and say, when all is said and done, um, there are some things that are, that are really clear and that is God invites people to come to faith and he holds them personally responsible for whether or not they do. And at the same time, the Bible's clear that, that God is the author and the one who draws and the one who works to bring us to faith. And I can affirm both of those and be very comfortable because I think the Bible does, even if I can't totally reconcile yes. all of the issues uh, that are downlined on that. So George, thank you for, uh, for being here today. And uh, we hope that this has been a helpful uh, conversation around this issue. If you have further questions or questions that you'd like to see discussed on Ask a Pastor, you can send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com and we will be happy to address those in the days ahead. Thank you.